right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Friday, June 2nd. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. We are here with you after game one of the NBA Finals. Denver wins 104 to 93. Nikola Jokic 27, 14, and 10. I don't know, Brendan. I, uh, I kind of wonder if Mark Jackson watches this game and every time Nicole and Jokic does something awesome, if he's like, man, I didn't vote for that guy for MVP. Am I just the world's worst hater? I think the answer is yes. Jamal Murray has 26, but two seven from three. Michael Porter Jr. gives you 14. Bam Adebayo is, in my mind, the best player for Miami, 26 and 13. Offensively, I would say at least he's the best player in Miami, only 13 for Jimmy Butler. Not really enough. What we're going to do on the show is give you the big things, the big three things that really kind of decided this game. And Brendan, I want to start with the Denver Nuggets just not missing a beat. And it turns out that having some time off and getting a chance to get your muscles right and getting a chance to recover and then play a team that just played back-to-back grueling series and in particular, just finished a seven-game series that was particularly grueling. Turns out that that's an advantage for the team that's also playing at home at an altitude. Who would have thought? Sure, but (laughs) I feel like the Denver Nuggets have been this dominant throughout. I mean, you and I thought that they would kind of steamroll in this series. I mean, we did talk about how game one would, would likely go this way in large part because of the rest differential, but... I sort of feel like this outcome would have been the case. Let's say the Nuggets and Lakers went seven also. I still think the Nuggets win this game by double digits. I think I'm going to expect them to win most of these games by double digits, but you're totally right. They did not miss a beat. They obviously came into this game with uh, a few things up their sleeve. First off being, you know, using Aaron Gordon with deep post seals in transition off of switches, attacking Gabe Vincent, just you can tell that the thing they identified coming into this series is we are bigger and they haven't been like significantly bigger than their opponent in a lot of these series. And so I'm sure that was kind of a relief to them and they went after it and that was able to get them a nine point lead after the first quarter. And from there it was, a lot more of the two-man game, a lot more of Jokic, and they took it home. But without that little burst by Aaron Gordon at the beginning of the game, I do think this looks pretty different. Yeah, there's one thing we should I have to say as a caveat, as saying the Nuggets did not miss a beat. I'm, I'm throwing that in my own quote in quotation marks. So cleaning the glass, Ben Falk's uh, site for stats, uh, for the Nug- for has it been tracks offensive ratings without garbage time throughout the playoffs, every game of the regular season, all that stuff. And they have box scores where they have the advanced numbers. So Denver's offensive rating in this game, Brendan, have you looked at this? I just pulled it up while you were okay. setting it up. So offensive rating of 112.1. That's below average for the year. That's below average for the playoffs. Denver's offense in the, in the playoffs coming into tonight was 121.7 per 100 possessions. That was the best in the playoffs. The only team that comes close uh, was the Clippers from the first round. New Orleans, you know, had a really good offense, but they played one game. So, like, I'm not really counting yeah. that that one-game sample. So, look, when we say the Nuggets did not miss a beat, I, we can say that 
while I think also acknowledging that this wasn't their best offensive performance, there wasn't this most potent offensive performance, but it felt like the process of what they were doing worked every time it needed. Yeah, kind of a tale of two halves, I would say, right? I mean, I think the first half, they have 59 points, second half, 45. And I think, you know, one thing that did go in Miami's favor that maybe was overlooked or that we thought the Nuggets would be able to solve for better than they did was the zone. I think that in the second half, that zone defense that Miami is so good at not only executing, but also that Eric Spolstra is so timely with throwing it out there. Like that, that seemed to make a difference. And if, if nothing else, even though, you know, Denver at the end of the day, they still shot 51% from the field. They still got to the line 20 times, 29 assists, all their vitals on, on offense aside from that offensive rating still look right where you'd like to have them. They weren't able to get to that two man game as much, I would say because of the zone in that second half. And you could feel Spolstra and the heat getting a little more confident, throwing it out there, even when Jokic was playing and so i think that that really made a difference but at the same time when you think about what denver is and how they approach this game if Jokic is just more aggressive from the jump or in, at all like if Jokic is just more aggressive period i think this game could have been even more lopsided and maybe miami never makes it interesting but Jokic only took 12 shots and it's an interesting thing that that's how it happened right because Throughout these playoffs, what is one thing we have hit on over and over again? That Nikola Jokic has really taken on the mantle of being a scorer, has taken on the, the so-called the role of being that number one guy. He has taken that on a little more willingly than I think we have seen him do in the regular season. And then in game one of the finals, ostensibly... I mean, I think the biggest game of his career, right? The, his, his grand arrival, the, Yoke, the Joker's grand arrival on the stage. He kind of goes back to his kind of comfort zone, so to speak. He kind of goes back into that space where he's passing, looking for cutters and probing. And I, I agree with you. I think he needs to be more aggressive. And I think if they, they do see the zone against him, they're going to beat it every time, Brendan. If they, to quote a uh, friend of the pod, Robbie Callen, a tweet that he had. Throw the ball into the middle to the big smart guy and let him make a good decision. Like that is going to bust that zone. Yeah, that's that's going to bust it up if they just trust Jokic over and over again. Bam is one of the best defenders in the world. Jokic has an answer for everything that Bam is giving him every time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, first half Jokic didn't shoot and. I think he had five field goal attempts in the first half and they were up 17 at halftime. So it's like, you know, the, def- the the version of like discomfort that we saw from Denver tonight was, oh man, our double digit lead is only 14 instead of 20. Oh no. Right? So it's like, and then he had to start shooting again. Yeah. And then he did it. And then he made his shots and then they went back up closer to 20 and then the game ended. It's, so it's, it's just, it's kind of a, a level of, it, it's just a matter of degrees here, but I think the other part of it with Denver tonight that was pretty impressive and obviously inspiring for how they can move forward is they got the out of this world Murray game or at least first half already, you know, and and they don't have to kind of worry about or wonder if that's coming. They got it and they won it. 26 points, 10 assists for him. 
He was just a killer in the mid range. He was uh, what nine of fifteen from two point range, which is which is awesome. He was just ruthless with the the mid range pull up. He seemed to make every single one that he took. Only three turnovers. So that's the type of guy that you could think. Well, the layoff, the lack of rhythm. Does he have an off game to get this series started? And he didn't. You know, there's still games to come for Denver where they make more threes where Jokic does score the ball more, where Michael Porter Jr. gets hot. None of those things happened tonight. Jokic barely shot the ball, and they still won by double digits. So that's what it it looks like when somebody, you know, is dominant in the way you expect, is they win easily. Well said. All right, let's talk about Bam. So Bam, to me, Brendan, looked like he got his gas tank back a little bit after he looked a little cooked at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. And he was aggressive and he's physical. It's funny because I feel like he he is normally so impactful defensively and dominates the game in that in that way and is 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 excellent there again. He's one of the best defenders in the league. This was like an offensive end game, and this feels like it might be a BAM offensive series. He was a little more aggressive getting to the rim. He was converting some of his looks. He had a little more, I think, confidence in his ability to do that. And maybe they needed it at the end of that Boston series. He finishes in 40 minutes, 26 points, 13 boards, five assists, 13 to 25 from the field. Um, had just one turnover. It's like a very, like a very, very good BAM offensive game mm-hmm. that I think Miami is going to need that a bunch in the series if they're going to figure out how to do this. Well, they're going to need it because, like you said, it's it's there for him. It's it's structurally just sitting there for him to take advantage of. And to me, it was like it was three main things, I would say. And then one that I think he could do even more of. I think offensive glass is the first place you go. He had two or three putbacks. That's uh, and Jokic didn't have a single offensive rebound. That's usually another area, especially if you're going to say, okay, Jokic isn't going to score tonight. You would assume he's very much going to be hitting the offensive glass and impacting the game that way. And he didn't. So Bam kind of won the the rebounding battle today. That's huge. Mm -hmm. The other two are, uh, I would say the, I underestimated the impact that he was going to be able to have on the short roll. Yeah. I think because I was expecting that he would catch the ball high and maybe try to score or maybe try to kick out to three-point shooters, and I feel like Denver's ready for that. Where they really had a lot of success was guys cutting once he caught the ball in those spots. That was where their real, like, kind of a lot of their best offensive possessions, in my opinion, whether it was Jimmy cutting, Haywood Highsmith cutting, or even getting really quickly into a Duncan Robinson two-man game uh, on a catch. Those were the best moments for the Heat, and, and that was something I wasn't expecting. And then, I mean, this isn't rocket science or a revelation that we wouldn't have been able to project forward with game uh, one coming off of the Boston series. But Al Horford is just a better one-on-one defender against Bam's mid-range pull-up game and drive game, face-up game than Jokic is going to be. And so he just was able to get a few of those floaters and like short jumpers off in a way that he wasn't against Horford. And I'm sure that helped him get more confident because that's kind of if he can do that, then he doesn't really have a weakness on, on offense. It's when he's having to make a secondary decision where he starts to turn the ball over and everything, and he didn't have to kind of cycle through all that stuff today. He was really just getting what he wanted. One of the things, Brennan, that I think will be interesting to watch going forward is how the heat balance Bam 
and getting that version of Bam against Jokic, which is, it's not, I don't think what happened with Bam in this game is not replicable. Like, I think he's going to be able, like, this is what Jokic is defensively. You're going to be able to get these looks against him if you prioritize them. I also think and he was scoring against the drop and yeah. the and the hedge, which yeah. is which is interesting too, because you would have thought like, oh, only when Jokic like comes up on the pick and roll is Bam going to have those that space. But with the drop, he was catching it and kind of getting those pull up jumpers too. So yeah, I don't really think Jokic is going to figure something out to, to to stop him. Yeah, it seems like what they kind of are saying with Jokic in this series is like, okay, like maybe sometimes you'll come up to the level, other times we're going to keep you at the rim, and if you know, we'd rather like deal with bam taking the floater a bunch of times and like a cutter and then you swing back to a shooter and like they're taking like the even if it's a good shot for miami they kind of seem like they're okay with that versus some of the heat superpower stuff which is when the ball starts swinging and moving and they get threes and, and the momentum kind of swings what i also think is worth going to be worth monitoring is Jokic is the pressure point on the miami defense or excuse me the denver defense Jokic is the one that you want to press on if you're jimmy butler to some degree. You're also going to do switches with guards. I think he's going to want to get Murray in switches. I think he's going to want to get, um, I think KCP at times, even that's someone he could, I think want to go at just because KCP is a little, I don't think quite has the bulk to kind of handle those straight line. Jimmy drives. He's going to find his targets, you know, Brown, Brown, if he's going to be on the floor, like that's a guy he's, he's going to go after too. Jokic is also something that if they wanted to Jimmy Bam pick and roll, with shooters around is very easily something you could do to try to force the switch or at least like get bam looks in that situation. And I wonder if we see a world where they like look at this and say, okay, that's not exactly our bread and butter just to like spam a Jimmy bam pick and roll over and over again, or, or like inverted even to some degree. Like they, they like to do other stuff. They like to have other actions. They like to clear at the corner and, and just throw all these different looks at you, but there could be something very simple for them where it's, Let's get Jokic in action. Let's, not only can we attack him to try to get points in these half-court possessions, but also can we make Jokic burn energy? Can we kind of wear him out by kind of going at him more directly? That is like a lever that I wonder how aggressively they're willing to pull. Because like as good as Bam was, they still lost by 11. And they're, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to win two, three, four games when Jimmy has 13 and didn't really feel like he was super like involved for most of this game is, is in, in combination yeah. with Bam. Well, that's the thing is like all of what you said is valid. If Jimmy is actually at his best and punishing all of that stuff, I think that's an open question. Um, I think to close the loop on Bam, that's exactly, you know, some of what you're getting is at is exactly where I was saying there's a little bit, left for him to to kind of pull at he didn't get to the free throw line at all and so that was something you and i talked about heading into the series is can they get Jokic into foul trouble can they get easy points at the free throw line and jimmy and bam are going to be the two guys obviously really no one else on this team outside of some kyle lowry junk uh really results in free throws so can they do that they didn't only the whole team took two free throws tonight and bam was was not the guy who did that and so uh, that and then I also think Bam, like I think he only took two, one or two shots the last quarter and a half or quarter, whatever. At, at one point, the the announcing crew said he's twelve of twenty three from the field, and that was not toward the end of the game. And he finished with twenty five shot attempts. So uh, it it sort of fell off. I know other stuff was working, so that's just naturally going to be part of it. You know, guys started to hit threes in the in the latter part of the game, and Haywood Highsmith 
Highsmith created some transition opportunities and everything else. But, you know, is that something consistent? Is that something they can really attack repeatedly? Uh, the last part of it with, with Jokic's defense, I think that's worth pointing out, though, is, and this can transition us into the, the role players a little bit, mm-hmm. is Gabe Vincent actually was able to punish that drop with pull-up threes from time to time. And so, you know, you're starting to come up with a few things that if Miami goes back to the drawing board and starts to watch film of what worked in this game, that they can start to feel good about. One was, you know, Bam on the short roll, Bam in isolation, Gabe Vincent in the pick and roll with pull-up threes, and all that doesn't even include Jimmy just playing better, which is obviously what we said. You know, it has to happen. And if there's a coach that we know will crush the film and come back when, with probably the right adjustments, Eric Spolstra. I would hope. Did you see the the photo of him going around on Twitter the other day of like him like sitting in the video room with like the, the tapes, like the VHS tapes that he probably had to I cut? Did. That photo always makes me laugh. It's uh, it's kind of a flex just because like now it looks so intense that he like, I've been doing it since this time. But like, I mean, it's, it's not like I mean, just he just did what you had to do. And then he kind of worked out, you know. Yeah, but I mean, like it doesn't look been to the final seven times, like probably a little more impressive than the tape picture personally to me. But yeah. I, I, I feel it. It's also not as cool when it's like Final Cut Pro, you know, or Adobe Rush. No, exactly. It's, it's just That's not what as cool. I mean. It's just not as cool. It's like anything vintage. It's like if a picture is black and white, it's like 15% cooler looking, but yeah. really it could be the same exact image. Yeah, but it looks cooler. It just 100% does. All right, let's exactly. move on to the Eastern Conference heroes that Miami had. Brendan, they were not important in this game. Now, Hayward Smith, uh, <laughs> I didn't have him for 18 yeah, points exactly. in 23 minutes and two or four from three. I didn't have that on my bingo card, but let's run through some, some Eastern Conference heroes. Caleb Martin gets the start, as I think everyone expected. The right call, I would expect him to start in game two. There's no reason for him to that for that to be the lever they pull. Had three points, one of seven, one of seven from the field, one of two from three, four boards, zero assists, zero turnovers. Not a not a particularly good game from him. Gabe Vincent um, had 19, 5 at, five at 10 from 3. They got that really good night from him on a night where they needed it. Max Struess, 21 minutes, 0 at 10 from the field, 0 of 9 from 3. Maybe I would love to see the second spectrum data. It felt like he maybe missed like the most open shots that anyone had. Tough night for Max Struess. Duncan Robinson, uh, fresh off of the Hulk Hogan taunt at his hometown Celtics crowd. 21 minutes, one of six from the field, one of five from three, three points, and just kind of a, a lot of blah. Got some okay minutes from Lowry, I thought, but the wings, Brendan, that they've been so reliant on that have been their superpower just kind of didn't make shots. So I, I want to frame it this way and ask you this. Is that just they missed open shots? Is that like, like what is it they first game on the road in the finals like what do you attribute that to because i didn't feel like it was like something denver was doing to really contest shots in a real way just they missed a lot of them and sometimes it's as simple as that but also very frustrating i'm sure for miami yeah uh i think those are all better possibilities than i think mike greenberg's the thing that he threw out there at halftime was the altitude i don't know how altitude makes you miss shots personally um but we, we don't have to bust out the storylines that don't matter in the playoffs. We already did that a couple times earlier in the postseason. But um, 
it, it altitude does matter. Anybody who's played there has has said as much, but I don't think that's why you go 13 of 39 from deep. I mean, I don't know. I think I think right away you could tell uh there was a little bit of of hesitancy. I mean, so they had Gabe Vincent early. I think the first shot he took in the game, it was like a mid-range pull-up that hit the front of the rim. And you could tell like he he had the three, but then he also had the drive and he kind of settled into an in-between and it just, it never looked comfortable. Cody Martin had the ball in his hand or Caleb Martin had the ball in his hands a lot uh, in this game, which I know he, I know that's happened throughout the postseason, but to open a finals game felt a little bit surprising and mm-hmm. maybe told the story of what was to come with Jimmy. If, if they weren't like, you know, ready to have him have the ball, if it's the ankle with Jimmy or what. Um, and then Struess, like, it's hard to disentangle once you start to see a guy missing to be like, remind yourself that players just miss shots, but he looked uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It looked like the release was different every time. It looked like he was, it just looked funky. It looked rushed. It looked uncomfortable. The last like five or six he took after he missed his first few. So I don't expect that to continue. I think it's nice to see that Vincent bounced back. He had a really solid second half. I was telling you in the first half, I would have put him on the list of guys who didn't show up. And then he, yeah. he kind of, you know, became the hero a little bit by helping them on that run late. So I'm, I tend to think that with the ball movement they were still able to have, the fact that some of their normal stuff was still working, Bam was playing so well. Lowry, I think, is somebody that should probably be playing even more than he did. Um, that all makes me feel like we could easily see a more normal 38, 40, 42% three-point shooting game from Miami in game two, game three, whatever. But uh, it still hurts to lose one when a lot of other things did go right and you made a run late, but you just did not have the, just didn't have the shot making to to make it happen. Miami in this game took significantly more threes than Denver. They took 39 three-pointers. Denver took 20. Or sorry, Denver took 27. That's a 12-3 difference. They made five more. There's also a big free throw advantage in this game, which I feel like will probably always tilt Denver in the series a little bit, but Denver took 20. Miami took two, which is uh, tied like the record, I think, for the fewest free throws made in a game of yeah. the broadcast said. Like, that's probably not going to happen again, and that's like another thing. It's like, if Jimmy Butler is playing like Jimmy Butler, he's going to get like eight free throws on his own, and like some of that math stuff is going to change. Mm-hmm. The three-point math, Brennan, like just has to tilt Miami's way if they, they want to have a chance. It just does. That is like a very simplistic... More than it did tonight, even. I yeah, mean, you like know. it has to be like overwhelming. Denver's offense, like it is possible to me that this is, in terms of efficiency, the worst Denver's offense looks for the entire series. It is possible to me that this yeah. is the floor for what Denver's offense is. Well, that's the thing with the threes, right? Like... I think Aaron Gordon not taking threes is actually a good thing for Denver. So yeah. in that case, it's like he only took one. Well, that's a that's a W. And then, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is probably just going to shoot better. So that's definitely to your point. Uh, just distance shooting we're talking about. And then, but like KCP, there's definitely meat on the bone there. He didn't really get involved at all on the, mm-hmm. in the offense tonight. He had that one mid-range jumper that actually was pretty important when the Heat were making a run. And it was like they really needed that shot but otherwise not so much. And so three point wise, I don't think it gets much worse than this for Denver. And we talked about Jokic being able to score more. So yeah, you're probably right. Do they get my thing with the heat role players is yeah. do they just play? 
Highsmith more in the next game? Is that, I mean, we can maybe get into adjustments too, because we're kind of already talking around that. Yeah, let's just go, let's go into adjustments. Because it was, I, yeah. He also was the most impactful Murray defender that we saw the Heat put out there. And he was able to, to create transition opportunities and make a couple corner threes. Like he was probably their best role player if you, depending on how you count Gabe Vincent, but you know, so he was better than Martin. He was better than Duncan Robinson. He was better than Struess. The levers I think Miami has would be start, would be play Highsmith more, play Kevin Love, and play more, and play more zone. More zone, I, I could see. As often as I did it in the second half, but for the whole game, yeah. But what what is Kevin Love going to do here? You're the one telling me, LOL, Kevin Love's impact is over in the playoffs. Don't even say his name in our preview show. Well, okay. The only reason I say that is because if you're if you played Cody Zeller and that didn't work, and you want like and you need to just spell Bam for eight minutes, the reality is that like they're kind of screwed when Bam sits. Like, they just might be kind of screwed when Bam has to sit. I think that's what it is. But, like, yeah. so my, my thought might be, okay, if I can't play Bam for f- somewhere between four and eight minutes a game, and we're kind of screwed defensively anyway, maybe just put the guy who's going to, like, shoot threes for me and maybe just catch a little bit of luck there. That's, like, my only thought with the Kevin Love thing. It is that simple. It is, like, the it's not – he didn't play in this game. I don't think he's going to tilt the Sears one way or the other. But I wonder if he gives you just like Zeller got like just mollywopped in his eight minutes. <laughs> if at least Love might give you like some offensive utility if you play that way, and you could zone up when he's on the floor and, and try to hide him in certain situations. Like they don't have the wings necessarily to to attack him if you kind of do that, even though they have Jokic, you're just going to attack him anyway. Like there's no good answer. But I wonder if yeah. if like you give him the Zeller minutes and you you tilt Highsmith up to like. You know, if if especially if Struess comes out, like I don't think you change the starting lineup necessarily for game two. I, Not yet, probably. right? Maybe for game three if it continues this way. But well, if plus Str- Hero might play in game two, so that well, may game, be game uh, three. to Woj. So that oh, did no, he say game Woj two? said game oh, two. Yeah, pregame oh, he had another where he said certainly forty five times. He did his little video hit and uh, you know did his thing. Uh, Woj drives me crazy in case you can't yeah. pick up on that. But um, yeah, he said game two. So. Okay. Maybe, but he said maybe, you know. But, like, that would complicate the rotation even more. You're adding another wing in the mix when you already don't well, necessarily know who your best wings are right now. And it's a wing that, like, I mean, I, I we've talked the offensive thing. That might help your math problem to some degree. And, like, for all of the words of Tyler Hero, I think he would help with shot creation. And he's not going to be afraid to take the shots you need him to take. Like, if he has, like, an 0-4 start, that guy is not going to, I think, get shake for shaky as we go along there. Like, I don't think that's what's going to happen with him. But I also think... If anything, I think he's a shooter for you. Like, that's kind of the value that I see Hero providing for you right now, more than, like... Because you can get away with Vincent, Bam, Lowry, and a little bit of Butler as your ball handlers. But Hero just... Like spotting up. It's just, it's just like, it's just like the the phrase "a little bit of Butler" is just like, like that's like a bigger deal than anything. It's just like if it's a little bit of Butler, you're not winning the series. You're not taking this to six or seven games if it's a little bit of Butler. You're just not. And he didn't guard Jamal Murray at all, which I was. What if he's surprised by, especially when he started out so hot? If he's if if he's not going to guard Murray, you need him to just be full bore on the other end. 
and he wasn't. And maybe it's the ankle. Maybe he's it's the game one of the new series. Maybe we see game two, Jimmy, rev it up. He has the track record where I believe he is going to do it. I just do. Like, I, I'm a Jimmy Butler believer. Um, big sure. face, send me some coffee. It's really expensive. But, like, <laughs> if it's a little bit of Jimmy... What are we like? What is my? What are we doing here? Is like really the crux of this. It's like if you're only getting a little bit of Jimmy and we're describing him as like the third or fourth ball handler in certain instances. I don't understand what that's what what that is supposed to really be for Miami. So against the Celtics, Jimmy averaged 25 points per game, six assists per game, but he only shot 42 percent from the field, 35 um, percent from three. He had like seven and a half free throw attempts per game. So that's we we already hit on that. That's at least one thing he could be doing. Um, he only took about three threes per game, whereas tonight he was at only two. Um, it just wasn't a normal Jimmy game. And I feel like there are, you, you mentioned it earlier, there are weak points that he can attack if he goes into just hunter mode completely. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he was guarding, he ended up in, guarding Aaron Gordon for a lot of the game is, is what it felt like. And I think that was actually an interesting thing that had ripple effects throughout the game is Aaron Gordon playing so well early made it harder for, I think, the Heat to get the matchups that they wanted defensively against Murray. And Jimmy's just one example of that. But like they had Cody Martin or I keep saying Cody. I talked about Cody Martin on on Lockdown Suns today as a potential trade target anyway. Uh, Jamal Murray guarded by Caleb Martin at times he was and then everything just felt uncomfortable and then they looked up and they were down 17 and so I think you know if they're a little more ready for the Gordon thing and they can try to sell out to just stop that two-man game more aggressively that would help that Gordon thing just seemed to discombobulate the whole early part of this game and then it took until the second half for the heat to kind of get their bearings again so nugget side of this um, we hit on it. You know what the adjustment is, Brendan? It's Nicole Jokic scores more. That's it. That's the adjustment. That that t- I I don't know what else we can like. Michael Porter Jr. make more shots, and Nicole Jokic score more. I think you're probably okay if you do those two things, or one of, like if if your MV two time MVP. I mean, just you're okay more. if none of them happen because you already won this game, right? It's like, uh, you know, like I, I think the 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 big man rotation part was interesting to me as well. There were a lot of minutes. You mentioned the Cody Zeller minutes. A lot of those came with Jokic on the court. So mm-hmm. they were resting Bam while Jokic was still out there. Didn't understand and then that. that. Me neither. And then the Nuggets side, uh, they had a lot of lineups where Gordon rested outside of when it seems like he normally would. And then you had a lot of Jeff Green Jokic time, which I don't, I don't remember seeing much, if any of those lineups throughout the postseason up until now. But Miami's not exactly like a big team where you're wanting to be like, we have to have size at all times on the court. So we need our, our traditional four instead of, you know, MPJ sliding up or whatever the alternative was. So some of that was strange to me, felt like game one overanalyzing, getting cute. I would think that if we see the heat do something different with those backup five minutes and like the, the nuggets only won the non Jokic minutes by three in this game. So it wasn't like something where, you know, even when, and, and Zeller was a minus four. So it really was just like when the Nuggets starters were out there was the biggest point. But if you're looking at some of those backup minutes and how those can go, even if the Heat 
adjust, there's still the potential for that green Gordon lineup that had been really good throughout the beginning of the playoffs coming back and doing a number on, on Miami like normal. We just didn't even see that tonight. So I'm not sure what the pathway is for Miami outside of take and make even more threes and have Jimmy do what we know he's capable of doing. That was a career high in shot attempts for Bam Adebayo. Yeah, it felt like it. <laughs> that just that I I we haven't seen post game quotes come through yet. Um, I'm very curious to see how Mike if what Mike Mullen says when like asked about being very comfortable with Bam just taking a ton of shots. I mean, I think you can make the argument that he got tired late, and that's why some of those shot attempts weren't coming. You know, guys just tend to turn into ball movers when they don't have the the legs to to get out there. Um, we haven't seen Miami lose a game one yet. This was their first game one loss of the postseason, so I don't necessarily know how to expect that they'll bounce back. I'm looking at Jimmy Butler's playoff game log and after losses. So they lost game two in Milwaukee. He came back with 30 points. They lost game three um, or game five in New York. He came back with a 24-point game, but he was not efficient. Um, it just wasn't... It's not a pattern that he has these massive games. It's been pretty random since the Milwaukee series when Jimmy has like really unleashed. I don't know. Maybe we'll look back at that Buck series and be like, did he did he have to do too much? I, I don't want to. It's a little premature to say that. But, you know, he had 56, 40, 30, 56, 42 to close out that series. And then ever since it's been, you know, every other game or so. Yeah, I, there's a quote that I saw come through where he said that they took too many jump shots and need to attack the rim more and all I could think of Brendan was that I think you should leave me where it's like we're all trying to find the guy who did this like is Jimmy Butler yeah, just wearing a hot dog a, suit yeah is he just wearing a hot dog suit just like being like I, I, we're all trying to find the guy who needs to get to the rim more and it's like it's Jimmy Butler You're, he's literally the only guy outside of Bam who can do that on their team the only one He yeah so, so. I <laughs> That that is as simplistic as it sounds. That that is really like the biggest thing I'm watching. If he's like, what Jimmy are we getting? Are we, is is if you are you correct in that? Like maybe he just the gas tank got so tapped to beat Milwaukee, and the Knicks, frankly, like just not as good. Um, that you get to the yeah. Celtics. The, I was thinking the Gordon stretch at the beginning of this game where he was just like, I'm bigger than every single player on the court. Mm-hmm. The fact that Julius Randall somewhere either watched this or saw the box score and was just reminded that he was like a 6'10 power forward playing against, you know, Jimmy and Caleb Martin and Duncan Robinson as their forwards and somehow didn't use that to his advantage. It should make him feel bad. Well, he's just going to jab step into some jumpers, you know? Yeah. So if if, last thing, if hero plays game two, or even if it's game three, Mm -hmm. do you just add him to this rotation? Do you bench someone else? Do you slide someone someone's minutes down? Do you start Hero? Do you bring him off the bench? What do you feel like his role might be if if and when he comes back? I mean, when? He'll be back. Got to be the bench. Okay. If I'm looking at cutting, I think it would be Robinson. I I felt like Robinson played his game tonight and shots just didn't go. Well. I did too. I think Duncan Robinson's better than Max Struess personally. It's Struce Robinson. It's one of those two. And I think I think Highsmith defensively might need to play just to guard Murray. At least to and, and to bring more size. 
Because, I mean, even if Hero plays, like, the size problem is still going to be there. I just think Denver's way bigger than them, you know, and they were lucky to win the offensive rebounding battle tonight, but I don't know if that happens going forward. So we'll see. I, I just... It's hard. Uh, Spo will probably pull the right levers and, and push the right buttons, but, you know, the rotation is suddenly in flux, which it hadn't been. Yeah. It felt like Miami knew who was going to play every night, and now it's like, you know, you're in a little bit of second-guessing mode. Sure, and look, they do have, and if they do have one of the advantages and we maybe didn't hit on well enough in the preview, is that, like, they just have a, some more bodies. They've, they've played more games. They're a little more run ragged than Denver is at this point, but Denver, like... Played five guys twenty or more minutes. Jeff Green played eleven. Christian Brown played eight. You're not like you're not going to get Zeke Naji, Flacco Kanchar, Thomas Bryant. Their big deadline acquisition, like those Reggie Jackson, like those guys are not getting on the floor. Didn't Reggie play in the conference finals? You don't believe? You don't think he's going to be the guy that swings the championship? Uh, you know, here's the thing, Brendan. Here's the problem. On this podcast, I was like very bullish on Reggie Jackson, and now forever. A lot of people were. Here's the thing: I think I'm done caring about buyout signings. That that's my lesson. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Just gonna like, well, but please listen. Did, uh, please Kevin Love, Kevin Love, probably the most impactful one, and yeah. he's not even. You got a DNP tonight, so yeah, you're probably in the right spot there. But uh, please listen next year when we do another episode, like really talking about the buyout signings. Please listen. and, and <laughs> We're going to get tricked into it every year. Yeah, we're going to be like, oh, it's Joe Johnson like five years after his prime. I don't know. Could he swing the title race? Let's play a little bit. Let's play a little game here to talk about what's going on um, with teams. It, it's NBA Finals related. It is, but it's about the teams that have never made the NBA Finals. Here are the five teams. The LA Clippers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Charlotte Hornets, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, who will, There's something else with the Grizzlies that I think we, we will talk about in the context of this and more as more information comes out. Uh, but there's certainly a part of their story right now that's going to come up. And then lastly, New Orleans Pelicans. So again, the Clippers, the Wolves, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans. There's two questions I want to ask. We're going to start with this one. Of those five teams... Who is most likely to make the finals next year? Who of those five teams is the most likely to be playing in the NBA finals in June of 2024? You're hedging against a variety of different things here, depending on which way you go. It's certainly not the Charlotte Hornets. So I think we can go ahead and, and put them to the side. All respect to Michael Jordan and whatever hedge fund manager he's selling that team to. Um, the Los Angeles Clippers are my choice. Despite everything, they still have the superstar players that you need. They still have the depth that you need. They are a veteran team. They have one of the best coaches in the NBA. I don't think it's a smart bet. Buyout signings and the Los Angeles Clippers are two things that we should stop believing so much in. I think it's fair to say, but that's still my pick. I don't feel good about any of these options. But I also pick the Clippers. The Clippers, ostensibly, we, we assume the summer could change things. We'll have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Tyron Lue. Other guys in the roster that are really solid, good role players. They have an ownership. 
that is motivated to spend money and to win and to get to that highest level and to push up to the next echelon. And at the end of the day, there are other really good players on these other teams. Anthony Edwards, amazing with Minnesota. Memphis, uh, you know, they have Jaron Jackson Jr. And we'll see how many games they have John Moran next year. The Pelicans have Brandon Ingram and maybe Zion finally puts it together in his healthy. And there are obviously a lot of health asterisks with the Clippers. But they have Balmer and Kawhi and Ty and PG. And that just makes them, I think, the only pick for next year. Yeah, and we should say that part of the reason we're doing this, right, is the Nuggets are making it for the first time this year. Mm-hmm. And it takes having that star player and it takes things lining up right. I mean, I think it's... Yeah, Kawhi, I think in particular, is he's he's the a old. special kind of health problem. But I, what I was going to say is I think we would have said the health... Like, if you had asked this question, you know, the first playoffs in 2021 after Jamal Murray goes down we would have had a big question mark we would have been like yeah I don't know if Denver is going to be able to stick it out and and make this happen and develop the chemistry and get over the hump because their second best player just tore his ACL we don't know how long he might be out so you know those things happen to everybody but it's like Kawhi is particularly uh, a risk I just think it's still the best bet Kawhi is also the player most likely to ascend to that Jokic level. Like there were stretches this year until he got hurt again. Reascend. Yeah. Re, yeah. re, 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 reascend where he was like arguably the best player of the league for a stretch, like utterly dominant two way yeah. Kawhi stuff. And if like that clicks together, we saw it happen with Toronto and it's like, I'm it's it, every year means it's less likely to happen because he's getting older and there's more miles on the body and more injuries can happen. But like it, could happen and we've seen it and we've seen the transcendent and we've seen what that kind of apex predator wing can get you Brandon if you had to say the second team among yeah. the teams most likely to make the finals who would you pick I think I'm gonna go with the Pelicans I agree which is boring yeah. I, I mean especially in light of the jaw news from today Adam Silver saying you know they have a significant amount of information piled up and, and there will be something coming soon it I wouldn't have felt good previously, but that sounds even more like a, an actual suspension is coming, not just a figure out your crap off the court brother type of situation is is coming. So, but I even think I might have picked the Pelicans anyway. I think that the the upside of a Zion season where he plays sixty to seventy games and which he did once already, we forget he wasn't on a good team, but he was an all star, you know, one of the most efficient offensive seasons the league has ever seen under Stan Van Gundy during the the COVID year, the the shortened 2021 season. If that happens again, you have a better version of Brandon Ingram, you have CJ McCollum, you have a ton of perfectly fitting young role players and a coach that I trust and a GM that I trust. So yeah, I think that could happen. You know, are you? It would be a 2021 Suns, or it would be a 2020 Heat type of situation where they add a bunch of stuff at the same time, and it all just kind of breaks through ahead of schedule. But the Pelicans were the number one seed in the West up until like Christmas. It would a lot of it would hinge on Zion to me. Like we would need just sure. like we would just need like Zion to be healthy and like playing 60 something games and then like healthy for the playoffs. Like that's what it would take because like, like Ingram's great. I'm a, I, McCollum has still got it. 
you know, Troy, Trey Murphy took steps forward. Maybe Herb Jones figures out some offensive stuff next year. Like they have a lot of draft capital to go make other aggressive moves to fill in needs on the roster if they need to. Like they're in a really good position to, to cash in assets to like figure some stuff out if they really want to. But you also just like need Zion Williams <laughs> to like realize the potential of what yeah. he can be. Like it's not possible unless he would be. I, Brendan, the, 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 I mean, the, we just saw what they are without Zion. They lost in the play-in. Yeah, they're not. They, they. It's just you need that guy. This, where my galaxy brain went with this and trying to pick a second team because, like, I'm not picking Charlotte. That team's going to probably be very bad again next year. I'm not. I'm. This is a conversation for the summer. I'm a little soured on Lamelo. If I'm being honest, I'm a little unsure about what we're what what's coming here, especially because he's about to be contract extension eligible. And I don't like some of that. It's just like, I, what have we done here? That is like, bad genes. Those guys cannot stay on the court. Also, <laughs> just like brothers, just like what are the what have the habits you have built towards like actual like winning high level basketball at Charlotte the last couple of years? Him and Jalen Green, I have these like very like crisis, like boomery kind of thoughts in my head. Lamelo's made the play in twice. Yes, that's to true. Be fair, but um, okay, so they're but they're out. Got to hang the banner for the plan. Does you get custom Jordans or like Pumas when you make the plan? Like, I don't know. Um, because he's a Puma guy, not a Jordan guy. Um, Memphis, the job thing. I mean, his owner is Michael Jordan. Sure. The job thing just like eliminates Memphis. Like, for next year, yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I, I mean, Lord, I don't know what's coming with him in the future. Like, that's one of the, the weirdest things in the world. Don't really understand like what to make of any of that. We know, we're very curious to see like what the suspension is and and how that story unfolds. My galaxy brain is like, what if Ant just like levels the f up next year? Like, like as like if, if I I would feel good about it, but if I had to pick a second place like after the Clippers, what if it's just like the ascension of Ant? And like they turn like Cat into something that fits better with Gobert, and it all just kind of coalesces. That's the thing. That team is not making the finals with those two bigs. So I could see a an Ant season that propels them to that level. I like a lot of their supporting cast, especially if they like re-sign Nas Reed and whatnot. Yeah, but that that duo is not making the NBA finals. And no. I'm hard pressed to imagine that Carl Anthony Towns is making the NBA finals. Period, as as blunt as that is to say. Yeah, um, uh, we've, we've seen it three yeah. times. We've seen three playoffs with that guy, and I just don't see it. So, yeah, if they were able to trade him and, and spin that into something else, then, yeah, a, a team built around Ant, Gobert, and some some young depth, that's pretty interesting to me. I could see that. That's just the... that that I don't know if I'd feel great about that as my actual second pick, but that's where my galaxy brain went. The problem is I just, like, where, so, am, I, where am I trading Carl? Also an off-season podcast, but he's going to be in demand. There, there would be a trade. It's just a matter of, is it good enough? Um, next five years was the other way we were going to go with this, Chris. And I actually do have the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay, so I, I want you to sell me on this for a second because I the, the, I could be very much being a prisoner of the moment with this, with Ja. I just like, what happens with him and what his future holds? Like... I don't know what comes after he gets suspended for 30 games. I do, we don't. Sure. It's more so, this is not a bet on the Memphis Grizzlies being uh, my pick to make the NBA Finals in one of the next five seasons, but of these teams that have never done it, 
I think that their infrastructure is actually the best. And so the reason I would say the Memphis Grizzlies will make the finals in the next five seasons is they have John Morant. You're betting on him figuring it out. But if he does, you know, he is one of the five, six, seven best guards in the entire NBA. He has plenty of space to get better. They have a all world defender who just won defensive player of the year. Who's not even making max money. So from a salary cap standpoint is easier to fit in a awesome developing shooter in Desmond Bain, a bunch of interesting young talent and picks to get better from uh, at via trade or development. Good coach. I think an underrated coach coach that doesn't get talked about a lot because they haven't really been in, you know, conference finals or final situations, but I think Taylor Jenkins is a pretty good coach and a sneaky rich owner. I don't know if you've heard about how wealthy this dude got during COVID salute to people who got rich off of all that. But, uh, you know, he, he like doubled or tripled his wealth during the pandemic. And he's like worth like $12 billion now, which is, you know, not bomber money, but it, mo- more than most other NBA owners have. So like they're going to spend. So all that together, they're young, they have the talent, they have the upside and they have a good infrastructure at the top. That's kind of what we're looking for. If you're saying somebody to win a championship or at least make the finals in the next half decade, the Clippers will be aged out in like two years. Those guys aren't even under contract for beyond this season. So, you know, Brendan, I'm still- we don't know when Gobert's going to fall off. The Pelicans, who knows if Zion's ever healthy? Like, you know, you start to look at it that way. It's like, well, at least Memphis just has this like, hey, can this dude get his head on straight? And then they're set up. So that's all sound. I'm still picking the Clippers. In five years? Yeah. What is, what is that team going to look Ballmer, like? Did they keep Shea or did I miss something? Look, it, it is just a belief that Steve Ballmer is going to spend whatever the hell he has to spend to like make this work. And like he is the closest thing we will see as an owner, I think, to like Man City, PSG, these like uber European soccer clubs and the current ownership group. And maybe this changes as we get other really, really insanely rich people and he's no longer the richest owner. And I understand there's a salary cap. I understand they've traded all these draft picks and stuff. That guy just has money and he's willing to spend it in an attempt to be really good. And like at some point, I just wonder if that wins out. The other owners just like uh, kneecapped him though. So, you know, that is true. The new CBA is like not friendly to like Steve Ballmer being like, no, I yeah so like that that is certainly a fair they should just call the new CBA like the Steve Ballmer honorary collective bargaining agreement it's just it it shout like subtitle shouts out to you Steve like you're not getting away with this anymore (laughs) yeah no that man is not opening his new arena with like Terrence Mann and and Ivica Zubats so no come hell or high water he will overpay for something he will make a dumb trade to get somebody he will be the next Carl Anthony Towns team if he needs to be it will happen Oh boy, Kawhi for Kawhi for Carl. You're saving the Minnesota Timberwolves there. Do you, you think Kawhi is like juiced about going to Minnesota though? No, I think Kawhi would Kawhi would be the 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 actual first athlete uh, NBA player. Well, I guess Ben Simmons did it, but yeah, that's that was the, that's, before that's, a trade to try to get a trade. Kawhi yeah. would just be the first guy to be like, no. I'm going to sit and then I will opt out. I'll take all the fines I need and I will opt out next summer and I will re-sign somewhere close to Southern California. <laughs> and that will be that. It's like, can you guys expand to San Diego or like what's, what's the deal? Can we get, can we get Vegas going? Yeah. Can we, can we get in on that? Can I, can I be LeBron's first star acquisition in Vegas? Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be Kawhi's approach. So yeah. no, I don't, so I don't think so. My, 
my answer would be the Clippers. If I had to pick a second team, it would be Memphis. Um, am I rude for saying Charlotte would still be my last place team in the next five years? Is that rude? No. I mean, what reason have they given you? I don't None. even think they've made the conference finals. No, that's like, and it's just like, we don't know who the new owner is going to be. We don't know if the new owner is going to be good. The new owner could also be like, not good. Like Jordan isn't like a good owner, but he's a, not a good owner in a certain way where it's like, you could get like a Vivek owner who's like spending a bunch of money. Well, Vivek, I guess, ultimately figured it out. It just, Vivek took, it took a while. Um, Tillman for Do you know the last time the Hornets made the second round? Was Obama president? Like, were we talking that long ago? No. No, uh, George W. Bush was halfway through his first term. That's how long ago it was. It was 2002. They beat the Orlando Magic, the Doc Rivers Orlando Magic in the first round, oh and then they God. lost to the eventual NBA Finals representative for the Eastern Conference, the New Jersey Nets. Oh, Lord. Um, in five games. It wasn't even a close second round series. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so you're not, you're not wrong to have them last. I think I would still put them last. Yeah. Here, if we're going to like do this, I, I would rank this as like, I went Clippers because money, which like CBA, you're right. That's maybe not the right pick, but I, I made it. So I'm sticking with it. Memphis two, Minnesota three because of Ant, Pelicans four, Charlotte five. That's probably my, my ranking, except uh, I would probably put Memphis above the Clippers. Obviously, like I said, I think Minnesota has, it's a small market, but they at least have a new ownership group. That seems like they're going to, like with the Gobert thing, they're going to at least get a little crazy for the next few years. Also, so and, that feels and, good. And we, I think we trust Ant to like be around and be playing basketball games. And I don't know if Zion's going to be healthy and playing basketball games in five years. Ant's approach to playing is the best thing about basketball. The fact that he wants to play, hopefully he doesn't get hurt or anything. I know there's science behind people not playing, but like, you know, give me that guy. 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I Googled Anthony Edwards real quick, and the first headline in the news tab is, what does Anthony Edwards want from basketball? It's about winning and chasing the GOAT. Yeah. That's my guy. Him and Jaden, just owning up teams. Ant is number one on my can we get him on the podcast list. He would be very high, yeah. I mean, not like literally of anybody, but like of the players that I think we could maybe get. He's up there. Like, we're not going to get LeBron James on just basketball, unfortunately. So, He's, you know. I mean, you know, maybe they maybe the shop buys us. You never know. The shop buys just sports. And we do know Jeff, so <laughs> maybe he can. Yeah, if, well, maybe uh, what other clutch athletes can we get via Jeff? DeAndre Hopkins just signed with clutch. I don't know if you saw that. Nurk. I did. <laughs> You want use of Nurkic? Hey, no? Nurk, can we? Can, can, hey, Nurk, uh, can we talk about how the Nuggets like picked you before Jokic and then picked Jokic ahead of you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, he's a great guy to talk about for this. How does it feel that your trade was what set this entire thing off? Also, because they being they they, so they like clearly had some friction. Like, yeah, very clearly had some friction. Um, it's like it's like the one teammate I we've ever had like public record of that did not seem to like Jokic. That's just a jealousy thing. I know, but, but yeah. it's just, but it's the one time it's happened. Yep. Everyone else, it's like, it's the big Serbian who likes ponies and he, and he passes the ball. What's not the love? And then Nurkic is just like MFing him in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Which like, I look, I, I love a good player beef. You know, we need, I honestly, I am pro more player, like more players getting into it from time to time. Like 
it's why like I had the it's why like the like Dylan Brooks is like good for the league to some degree because like when he can wrinkle people, it's like I think that's better than everyone just getting along all the time. Like, yeah, be friends, but like in, on the court, like give me give me some friction. Give me some tension, you know? Yeah, little Nikola Miritich, Bobby Portis. Well, I don't I don't think we need people's faces getting broken, Brendan, but I mean, you're advocating for it. I'm, I'm just I, that was also at practice, and we didn't get to see it. Jordan Poole, Draymond Green. If you want to go more recent, uh, didn't seem like that one ended so well for anybody. So, look, I don't know. You might be on the wrong side of history here with fighting. <laughs> but was I right about Jimmy? Jimmy Butler was right about Carl Anthony Towns. I think we understand that. <laughs> understand he was. Yeah, can I can I interest you in a little story about a man formerly known as Ron Artest? Yeah, in okay, fights. Okay, look, I mean, okay. they don't tend to go so well. Look, this is just because I've like watched like one WWE event. And I'm just like, this is great. Watch one WD event that was like on at three in the afternoon on Saturday. And it's like, great. Brennan, I want to ask you one thing before we get out of here. Game okay. two. Mm-hmm. Are the Nuggets going up too well? Uh, they haven't lost at home. Since March. In the NBA playoffs. And since March. Yeah, is it since March? And is since that, March. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, I think it was like the Knicks or the something like that um, who beat them. Yeah, I, so yes, I think they're going to go up 2-0. I would imagine a game that feels pretty similar to this. Maybe the little parts of it that we talked about are different, but a game where the, the Nuggets are in control the whole time and probably win by double digits. I agree. I, I think Denver is going to look more comfortable in game two. I think Miami will do things that will rankle them a little bit. I think Miami's going to do like have adjustments. Spo is always going to have adjustments. But if Nikola Jokic scores more and is aggressive and kind of picks it bam in that way, and they just like the three points that we talked about tilts back in their favor a little bit, just via maybe Murray and, and MPJ hitting some threes. I think they might win by like, double digits again i think that feels like very possible that it's like another like somewhat competitive they don't pull the starters out to late game but ultimately it feels like a pretty decisive denver win that's I, that's where i think we're they at. opened i think they opened game one as seven and a half point favorites they opened game two now at bet mgm as eight and a half point favorites so i i yeah i think i would take that honestly it got a little close there by the end of this was, game they almost uh, didn't cover uh, Brennan, I was sweating. I was sweating. They did it. Gabe Vincent didn't steal your money, fortunately. We 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 move on to betting on the Memorial Tournament, which I'm attending this week, which will be fun. Uh, Victor Hovland finished the top ten. Let's go. All right, that is going to be it for the Just Basketball Show for Friday, June second. Denver Nuggets up one nothing. We'll see what game two will that is Sunday. We will have a podcast up after game two on Sunday. That is an eight p.m. tip. Brenda and I will be back recapping that game after that. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for production. Back at you Monday. Enjoy the hoops while we still have them.